Yeah, it's good to be together today. Happy Sunday, and I uh, hope you enjoyed your extra hour that was given to you of sleep. Uh, some didn't, some did. I don't know. That was a good question, though, Brandon. Good to chew on that. Uh, it's good to be together, uh, church, and we're looking throughout this series at these transformational moments that happen around the table, the meal table, where you combine food, family, friends, faith. You, you put these elements together, and it can be a transformational time, and, and thinking about a meal table, uh, a dynamic that happens at a meal table is a meal table can be a moment for big pronouncements, right? You do toasts, somebody grabs their glass and goes, what? <coughs> clink, 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 we've got something to say, right? And, and, and they lift that glass and, and make some big announcement. Think about for yourselves, you ever been in that kind of a setting? I remember uh, April and I had an announcement once. Uh, that I very, very much remember with our family. It was in early 2012, uh, before we came up to Burlington, and we were looking at different pastoral job opportunities at the time, and one of them was in Southern California, and I flew down to interview, came back, and we had a dinner with all of our family, both sides of our family. And so the whole family's like expecting, right? Like, sayonara, suckers, all right? We're, uh, no? Okay. Uh, we're sitting around this table, and everybody's kind of waiting with bated breath, like kind of trying to eat, and you're, you know, everyone knows this big pronouncement or announcement is coming, and, and I, I did the little, you know, clink, 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 and raised my glass and just said, hey, uh, the, the Nults here, we have a, an announcement to make. One is we are staying in Washington, and there was a cheer, and I said, secondly, Evie's going to be a big sister, and... Everyone was so, our daughter Evie at the time was like one. And so everybody's like, wow, they're not moving to California. Wait a second, what? <laughs> it took a double take. Like, you, you just one-two punched me there. What was that, right? You went, uh, we're not moving. Hooray, we're staying in Washington. Secondly, we're having another kid, you know? And, and we just dropped that bomb on them and shocked our family with two bits of information. But... Uh, you look at this moment that we're going to look at with Jesus, and he's sitting around the dinner table with his, his closest friends, one of the most famous meals that Jesus ever has, referred to as the Lord's Supper, and, and here he is, and he picks the table to be his environment for a, for a pronouncement, a life-altering, history-making type of an announcement that he is going to make. Uh, and he doesn't choose an amphitheater. He doesn't choose a keynote conference stage with a PowerPoint behind him. He doesn't choose the synagogue, right? He doesn't choose anything like that. But what does he choose? He chooses a table sitting with his closest friends. And it's around that meal that he introduces this new covenant that God is ushering in, this new promise, a covenant that would create a way for reconciliation between humanity and God. And, and it's happening right there in live time with these guys as they're sitting and listening and taking apart this Passover meal and Jesus is dropping this information download on them and they're trying to process all of that. But this covenant not only welcomes them into relationship with God, but also into community with others simultaneously with other Christians. And so we're going to look at the Lord's Supper together. And Brandon just read it so well uh, out of Luke. And look at this very familiar passage. If you've been in church for any period of time, 
you've looked at that, you've, you've heard it, you've seen communion distributed. We are not partaking of these. These are my props today, so I get to just enjoy these props. You got communion on your way in, uh, plus it's not very COVID-friendly for us to do communion this way anymore, right? Like if I just handle this all day and then break it up and give it to you and dip it. No, we're not doing that. Anybody want to share a cup together? No, we're not doing that. It's not COVID-friendly anymore. But as we look at the communion table today, I think we're going to see a greater depth in this passage of Scripture, in this transformational moment that happens around the communion table, the covenant table that we see. And and let's just jump right in and look at it. In verse 14 through 15, we see Jesus is excited to have this meal. You ever been excited to sit down with your friends and have a meal? In, in Luke 22, 14 and 15, it says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. He's eager. He's excited. He's anticipating. He's ready for this moment. Why is Jesus anticipating this final meal? Why is he excited about this meal? Think about this for a moment. What, what, what's got him all excited about it? Right? Is it, hey, this is my last meal? Dun, 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 dun. Like he's just, he knows he's on this dreaded march. I think it's this culmination of everything he came to earth for. This is the pinnacle of it. He's coming to earth to do what? To die on the cross, to defeat death. And this is his chance with his closest friends to sit around the table one last time before it's all about to happen. And he's able to sit there and share his heart, share his love, share his mission, share his game plan. This is what I'm here to do, guys. The miracles are awesome, isn't it? The great teaching was sweet, wasn't it? All of these things that you saw transpire are so incredible. But guess what? I came to bring a promise for all of us to participate in. Plus, I think... Jesus has to just love a meal with his friends. How many of you love just eating a meal with your friends, right? You're eager to just hang out with people and enjoy that. And there's something about sitting around the table with other folks that it, it, there's a sense of belonging, a sense of unity, a sense of comfort and safety. And, and there's had to be something about sitting around that table together for that last moment before everybody dispersed and did their own thing, right? Judas, Peter. They all had a rocky night, just like Jesus. But before it all transpired, they get a glimpse of what heaven could be like as they enjoy the company of one another. That's what meals can sometimes be. I think Jesus is also excited because this is a meal where he's going to shift from celebrating the past to now celebrating and anticipating, forecasting what's coming in the future. Because he takes this Passover meal that was very familiar to them, and he upgrades it. He takes this old covenant message that they were very familiar with and upgrades the covenant. And so you see that in verse 16. Right after it shares, Luke talks about the anticipation that Jesus has. Luke says this. He's quoting Jesus. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, so he's sitting there at this table, and there's elements on that table for the Passover meal. We're going to talk about the Passover meal for a moment. And what he's doing is shifting the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper that is going to bring fuller, greater depth and meaning to those elements than ever before. Everything that they saw back in the Old Testament scriptures of Moses is now going to be updated and upgraded for then, for a covenant that is going to last, for a covenant that, that, that God is, has been leading them towards. And, and so he's excited about it. And he's telling them the fullness of this meaning 
is about to happen. And so he's sitting there. We're going to talk about, just for a moment here, the difference between the Passover meal, or not the difference, the, the history of the Passover meal. And I found this fascinating. I kind of geeked out on it, so I hope those that like information get excited, and those that don't, it's not too long. So uh, we're going to talk about Passover for just a moment, because in, in chapter 22 of Luke's gospel, what we just read a snippet of, Luke reminds us five times that they're sitting down for the Passover meal. So that, I mean, if somebody repeats something five times in a few sentences, doesn't that tend to tell you that's important? Right? If I told you it was my birthday five times in a paragraph, you'd be like, I think it's Sean's birthday. I think we should take note that Sean's birthday just happened. It didn't. Mine's in February, the 22nd. Uh, <laughs> but in chapter 22, Luke reminds us five times that they're sitting down to celebrate the Passover meal. And the Passover meal dates back to uh, the time of Moses leading the the Israelites out of Egypt. And I wanted to just read some of those passages uh, to, to refresh us on what that Passover experience was like when he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them through the desert and into the promised land. Well, they have this Passover moment. And Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to read a few verses out of that section. You can read it in its entirety on your own, but it'll be up on the screen with some very vivid imagery for us, because those of us that like pictures, it's going to be very pictorial as well. All right, ready? Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 3, it says, Each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Verse 5, the animal you select must be one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. The whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb for, or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with some bitter green salad, bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Verse 11, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand, and eat this meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Verse 13, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you, are, where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Get it? Pass over. I will pass over you. Right? I read that to my kids. I'm like, oh. The light bulb came on of why it's called the Passover meal. So let's talk about the Passover meal for just a moment uh, and what we just read out of Exodus. First, you see that they would eat this meal every year to remember what? Their rescue out of Egypt, right? It reminds them being liberated out of slavery in Egypt. Secondly, that they would take this flawless, without defect lamb, and they would sacrifice it. It cost them something to kill this lamb. And what they would do, they very vivid, I'm thankful that we don't have to do this every year. They would take that blood and smear it around the doorposts, right? And that was a sign. It was an indicator that these are God's people. And then what's fascinating is after they left Egypt, and we all know how that story goes, right? They, they're kicked out of Egypt. Pharaoh's like, I'm out. You're done. Get out of here, right? No, we're done. And they go into the wilderness, and then the leaders, along with Moses and Aaron, go up on a mountain and have a meal. 
In Exodus chapter 24, they're in the wilderness and they go up on a mountain to have a meal with God. So they've experienced freedom and now they're in relationship with God around a table. Look at this in Exodus 24, verses 9, through 9 and 11. Then Moses, Aaron, Nabed, Abihu, yeah, sure, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. And, those, and though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. So they're celebrating every year this Passover meal to remember the freedom that they experienced but also remembering a meal that establishes relationship. He's eating up on the mountain with these people, these leaders saying, I'm in a relationship with these people. These are my people, and I am their God. And so Jesus is sitting there around the table with his disciples at the Passover meal, and he's going to upgrade their system. He's updating their software. Verse 20 of Luke 22, he says, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Can you picture it? I mean, picture, I mean, there's such vivid imagery. He grabs the cup and he holds it up in front of these guys. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, when they saw that cup, what did they think it signified? The lamb over the doorposts. Now he's saying, no, 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 I've got a new covenant. I've got a new promise, and I've got some new meaning for this. And that word covenant is a big churchy word, right? We don't hear that often. You're not going to hear it while watching the Seahawks game today because there is no Seahawks game today. They're on a bye week. But as you're watching things or hanging out or you go to Chuck E. Cheese this afternoon for a birthday party, you're not going to hear the word covenant. What is covenant? Jesus says this cup establishes and is a sign of a new covenant. What is a covenant? Think about that word for a moment. Because today we're talking about sitting around the covenant table. What is a covenant? Jesus says it's a bond. It is an agreement. It is a commitment, a sign of loyalty. It's a promise. At a wedding ceremony, you see two people make a covenant with each other. They make an agreement, a bond, a promise, a sign of loyalty. Well, in the Old Testament, God would establish covenants with people, with Abraham and Moses and David, and at different times, he would make these covenant promises with them. But the software needed updating. How many of you have a phone right now that needs a software update? How many of you, it's just time to get a new phone? I love Apple tremendously, but I hate the fact that they throttle my phone, right? My phone's only two years old, and already, like, I can't download certain things. It doesn't work quite as fast. I can't refresh my email as quickly, right? How many of you are hitting that at times, right? When you're like, I guess it's time for an upgrade on my handy-dandy $1,000 device. Thanks a lot, Apple. Thanks a lot, Samsung, right? You got to upgrade the software because the hardware's outdated. The software runs slow. You can't download certain things. And so it's time for you to be able to upgrade. Well, Jesus is looking at it and saying, guys, you've been operating under this covenant that has needed an upgrade for a long time. The Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, even forecast that this was going to happen. So this is not Jesus just showing up at this meal saying, hey, I think we're due for an upgrade. No, this isn't a spontaneous upgrade. This is something that for generations has been foretold. In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah talks about the covenant upgrade that's going to take place. Listen to Jeremiah's words. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. 
make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant. This is the covenant I will make. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus is sitting there at the table with his disciples saying, Jeremiah's words are about to come true. This cup signifies the new covenant. There's something new that is about to happen. And he's establishing this promise and this bond with humanity. And so he's taking these iconic images of the Passover meal and he's updating them for a new promise for all of us, for all of humanity. So let's just compare those promises, right? And the Passover meal, it was a reminder of their freedom from Egypt. Well, with the Lord's Supper, let's talk about the Lord's Supper and the differences. Can we show that graphic with all the arrows? And Yeah, there you go. There it is. Remembering their freedom from, from Egypt, now we're remembering our freedom from what? Sin, death, brokenness, from hell, right? All these things that we are set free from. The flawless lamb that was slaughtered at the Passover meal is now emblematically symbolized by Jesus being the flawless, the perfect, the sinless sacrifice on our behalf. And instead of blood being spread over a doorpost, Jesus' blood is spread over our heart spread over our lives. And this freedom that was symbolized by a meal and the relationship that is symbolized by a meal also translates because you see Isaiah's words, the prophet Isaiah talked about the future coming of God's kingdom would be embodied or imagined as a meal. So just as Moses and his leaders went up on a mountain and had a meal with God and that, that showed their relationship with God, the creator, well, Isaiah talked about in all of eternity... We are going to sit around a banquet table, a feast table. Look at Isaiah's words. It'll be up on the screen. Isaiah 25, on this mountain, oh, similar imagery there. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. Jesus is sitting at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. He's sitting there with his closest friends, establishing a covenant that brings people into relationship with the living God. When we take communion, it is a reminder that we are welcome to the table of God. Those guys didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But we sit around the communion table. We sit around the covenant table. We sit around and we are looking at these elements even today, and these, this idea of moving from the Passover covenant and the Passover meal to the Last Supper and the new covenant with Jesus, and it is a reminder that you and I are welcomed into the family of God. We are welcomed to the table of God. We are part of his family and a part of a covenant and a promise that rescues us, sets us free, restores us. And I think that there are some of us that need to be reminded of that because these elements are very familiar to you. These become iconic things. 
It's just bread and, and juice or wine, whatever. And, and, and we partake of these things on a monthly basis and, and we move on. But it's a reminder when we look at Jesus sitting around the table with his friends, you're a friend of God. The covenant that Jesus established says you become a friend of God. You become a part of God's family. So not only are we in relationship with our God, but we're also in relationship with who else? Other Christians. We're, we're welcomed into relationship with our, with the, with our Heavenly Father, but, but we also have to realize that we are welcomed in by this covenant into relationship with other believers. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. How many of you long for a relationship? At your core, I think we all do. We just awkwardly don't want to raise our hand right now in church. Hallelujah. Raise your hand. How many of you want relationship at your core of who you are? The covenant that Jesus established doesn't just bring you into relationship with our living God. It brings us into relationship with each other. You're a part of a family, and that's not a bad word. Regardless of your background, family, the family of God is not a bad thing. And I gather around the table with other Christians, and, and I don't know if you can relate to this. Think of all the different reasons we gather around the table with other Christians. What are the things we do? Like, why would you invite somebody around a table with you? And, and, and they believe what you believe. They love Jesus. They, they believe in this covenant. They believe that Jesus is their Savior, and he rescues them. But, it, but somehow we've gotten distracted, and this isn't the reason I gather around the table with you. I gather around the table because of, hey, there's a Seahawks game on. You want to come over? Hey, I really want to play some Catan. You want to come over? It's a board game. What are the reasons that we gather around the table with people other than Jesus? Shout them out. Go ahead. We're Pentecostal. Shout them out. What are the reasons that we get around people? Birthdays. Lunch. Fellowship. Give me another reason. Pyramid schemes. I did just watch a documentary on LuLaRoe, but... Oh, too fresh? Okay. Some of you don't like those stretchy pants. But that would bring people together. Tupperware parties, candles, pyramid schemes. Thank you, Peter. What else? How about just eating a meal, hanging out, right? Well, I got a new barbecue. I want to use it. Come on over. We set up the pool. Come on over, right? There's all these different reasons that we gather around with other Christians. And yet, as Christ followers, as people who participate in this covenant, is Jesus the reason we gather around the table with these people? And how many of us have trouble bringing Jesus to the center of that table with other Christians? We're sitting around with people that believe what we believe, but I don't want to talk about it. How's work? How's the weather? How's your garden? How's your little league team? You see, we gather around the table for all of these different reasons. Affinity and interest and age and, and wealth and race and all these things that draw us together as variables. And yet the most important thing that should be bringing us together is Jesus. 
These other things unite us in body and in, and in, and in emotion and, and in interest. They unite us in those things, but Jesus unites us in heart. So how do we keep Jesus central to these relationships? How do we keep him? So when we're having people over at our house, it's not awkward to bring up Jesus. With other Christians, it can be awkward to talk about Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in that predicament? Like, I want to talk about this. I want to ask a question. Uh, how about them Seahawks? And we just detour from it. We distract from it. We overlook it. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? Very simply put, how do we keep Jesus the main thing of that relationship, of that friendship? You know, when Steve Jobs returned back to the CEO position of Apple in, the, uh, in 1997, he looked at the company he had started and been kicked out of and then got brought back into, and he looked around at all the product lines that they had, and he went in and he slashed 70% of the products that they had in production. 70%. Why? I mean, it wasn't just that he was an egomaniac that didn't create those things, right? He looked at all these products and thought, we don't need to be working on printers and adapters and, and, and Palm Pilot things. We're not going to do those things. We don't need 17 variations of the same computer. He went in and he slashed all of these products because what had happened is they lost their focus. They lost the main thing was no longer the main thing for Apple. So he came in and got rid of the things that didn't matter, that were peripheral. And I think as Christians, sometimes we gather around the table with other Christians for all of these other reasons, and yet Jesus isn't the main reason we're together. I was telling my kids about this the other day. We're sitting down, we're talking about some of these things. And even as a pastor, okay, it was awkward to bring up Jesus with my own children. And we're kind of pushing our way through this really awkward, the kids are cracking jokes and they're just like sitting on chairs and rolling around, you know, doing yoga poses and things. And I'm trying to like share with my kids and ask questions and get them thinking about some of this stuff. And finally, I said something that was really, I think, quite profound to me as I told my kids, I said, this is the most important thing in my life. I want you to understand that. My purpose as your dad is not to teach you about sports and to teach you about fractions and to teach you how to tie your shoes and to just be a good person. The most important thing in my life that I have to give you is Jesus. Why is this awkward? Why is this uncomfortable? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And my kids were just like, uh-huh, okay, sure, whatever. And they kind of they listened for a moment, and they asked some questions and things like that. But it, it became this revelation for me in a moment as their dad to say, this is the main thing. How do I keep the main thing the main thing? In my relationships with you or with other Christians, how do I keep the main thing the main thing? How do I keep his covenant, that covenant of love and promise and forgiveness and rescue and all the things that we talked about that, that this symbolizes. How do I keep that central in those relationships? And I think Jesus gave us the Last Supper. I think he gave us communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. I think he gives us this as a tool to keep his covenant the main thing in these relationships. In Acts chapter 2, 
we see the early church depicted. And we read this a few weeks ago, and we've kind of been jumping back to it periodically. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about the early church dynamic and all these meals that they shared. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And scholars of debate till the sun goes down, uh, until next daylight savings, the, the breaking of bread could be real meals or communion. And I think what it shows is that they shared regular meals together, and then while they were eating, they took communion together. They ate together. And then they took some of the elements off the table and said, you know, this bread represents the body of Christ broken for us, doesn't it? Sure, we're eating some other things too. You know, this wine represents the blood of Christ. And it was so integrated into their mealtimes. It, it wasn't just, well, it, hey guys, it's the first Sunday of the month. I guess we've got to do this. And I've been in church long enough that the first Sunday of the month becomes this. Right? But what you see in that text in Acts chapter 2 is, is that they were so intertwined in relationships and sharing meals and, and, and bringing Jesus to the central position. He was the centerpiece of their table to the point where it wasn't awkward to transition from past the hors d'oeuvres to past the communion bread. Because it wasn't just communion bread, it was just bread. They just said, hey, let's take some bread and let's break it up and let's remember who Jesus is because Jesus is the most important thing around this table. And Jesus is what brings all of us together today. Jesus is what keeps these friendships so tight and so close and so true. Because the covenant of Jesus didn't just make me right with God, it made me right with you. And the Lord's Supper was this regular occurrence within the church. It wasn't liturgy. It wasn't ritual. It wasn't just what you did. And I think about that, and I think about the regular occurrence of that communion table, that covenant table, when something is reoccurring, it helps you remember. And what did Jesus say to do about communion? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me, to remember my sacrifice. So that when we gather with our friends in our dining rooms or sitting around our living room, we don't forget the most important thing in those relationships is Jesus. And, and I think we can learn a bit from the Jewish culture of that time where remembering was very valuable to the Jewish culture in ancient times. Taking the time to remember the past, the traditions, the meals, the feasts, all of these things, they all served a purpose of remembering, right? The Passover meal in, it, in itself was so that the kids would sit there and be like, Mom, Dad, why are we eating bread again? Why are we eating this flatbread, and why are we drinking this wine, and why are we doing this? Well, let's remember Moses led us out of Egypt, and, and this was the lamb that was shed, and this was the blood that was on the doorposts, and all of these things. It helped them remember, and the Jewish perspective of the time was that the story was strong enough to hold up to the kids' questioning. I love that. I learned that this week. The Jewish culture held those stories in such high regard and, and had such a faith that they believed their kids could poke holes in it and the story would remain. So you can serve that story up, and the kids are like, but why did they need the lamb? And how did he know, and why would God, and what about this, and what if you didn't have a lamb, and what about the blood, and what if it dripped off the doorpost? You know, you can think about like a kid asking a question, right? 
what was it like if they got that blood on their hands? You know, not that all kids sound like that, sorry. But they would bring these stories. And that's the truth for us. Whether it's your kids, your grandkids, or somebody else in your church brings their kids to the table. Or a bunch of adults sitting around a table. You can talk about the stories of Jesus and ask questions. And poke holes in it. And ponder these things. Because we believe the story is strong enough to withhold your questions. We believe the story of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the truth of Jesus is important enough to be talking about and bringing to the table, but it will withstand my inquisition. But the Jewish culture, remembering the past, helped them reinforce their identity for today. This is where we've come from. This is who we were. This is who we used to be, and this is who we are. When we remember the sacrifice of Christ around the table with our friends and with our family and with our kids and with our parents, We remember where we've come from. I was broken. I was sinful. I was selfish. I was detoured. I was whatever. But I remember what Jesus did for me. And I remember what Jesus did for you. We remember where he's brought us. Think about communion being this rallying point for the early church that unites them. You think about those elements and think... It struck me that when they would take it, they didn't get the little pre-packed packets that you and I have today. The COVID-friendly, break the seal, here's your cracker, here's your little juice, right? When they took communion, they took the Lord's Supper together. They didn't have a tray. Remember those silver trays with all the little plastic cups and then the little crackers in the middle, right? We bought a bunch of those right before COVID. That was great. (laughs) We're never going to use them. Well, never say never. But at this point, I don't know. We'll just play Frisbee with them. But you think about sitting at the dinner table with people, and somebody just grabs a piece of bread, and he breaks it. And he just says, man, as you each take a piece of this. See the unity that's symbolized? Because it all came from the same loaf, and it's dispersed. And each person takes a piece of this, meaning that each person that is partaking in that is partaking of the same loaf. And that loaf is representing who? Jesus. We lose that with our pre-packed little cups and our broken little crackers and all of these things. We lose this image of the unity that comes with that or the unity of sharing, don't share a cup, but sharing maybe one bottle of wine or one jug of grape juice together and pouring it into a bunch of little cups. It all came from the same source, the same bottle. We lose that imagery with our little pre-packed little cups and things like that. And it just hit me this week thinking about they're sitting around the table and Jesus just grabs this cup and says, like, you're all going to drink from this. You're all going to drink from the same source. You're going to eat from the same loaf. You're going to have your sins forgiven from the same location. And that is from Jesus. And then I felt really challenged this week and thought about this. What would it look like for us to have communion around our tables this week? Because we're going to do it as a church family right now to end our time. But what would it look like for you to go take communion with your family? With your kids, with your spouse, with your parents? 
with friends around the table this week? What would it look like to take communion without your pastor in the room? For some of you, you're like, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are. Because I doubt Peter was at every establishment in Acts chapter 2 when they ate a meal. But they partake in the Lord's Supper together. See, I don't have to be there for it to be communion. Can you just take a deep breath? This building is not the communion building. You could take communion anywhere. And it's silly to think about, but sometimes that's the like, parameters that get stuck in our brain, right? You're like, yeah, that sounds nice, Sean, but you wouldn't be there, so how are we going to bless the food? What? Well, how are we going to take communion? We're not in church. It's still symbolic, even outside of this building. Like, our carpet doesn't make it holy. It's holy because of who you're with and who you're remembering. That's what makes it holy. Because if I just take this, I mean, I bought this at Fred Meyer for $3, okay? It was not holy until I made it holy by putting it before and saying, this is representing Jesus. That's what made it holy. Before that, it's just juice and bread. What would it look like for you to take communion this week? And there's some questions on your table talk cards, and they'll be in the video description for those watching online. And there's some challenging questions. How would it grow you to lead a communion moment? How would it affect the conversation? Think about that. Like, the next time you have friends over that you know love Jesus. I'm not saying spring this on your unchurched friends. Like, hey, come over for a barbecue. Have some communion. Like, no, we're not baiting and switching people. I'm saying, like, <laughs> I'm wondering if every time I come to somebody's house now I'm going to get communion. But the next time you have other people that you know they love Jesus, what's stopping you from taking communion and saying, let's talk about the best thing in our life, Jesus. This gives me a reason to bring Jesus up and not be awkward and uncomfortable and forced. And I thought about it like, I don't know if I've ever used my dining room table to lead my family through communion. You see how we get stuck in paradigms? Rituals? Well, I want to leave my kids in communion, but they need to sit in here. No, they don't. Like, hello, Sean. No, you can do it at your dining room table. Just sit there, grab some crackers, grab some juice. Let's go. How would it affect your family? How would it affect the dynamic of that time? If Jesus is the best part of my life, why, why wouldn't I want to talk about it with people that share that same feeling and that same idea. Jesus sat around the table with his closest friends and talked about a covenant that would change the world. How would talking about that covenant change your family, change your marriage, change your friendships? And so this week is some interesting homework. I challenge you to take communion out of this building without me. Without a little pre-packed little cup. Take communion this week and watch what happens. Watch what happens. And so we're going to gather around the communion table together to conclude our time because I think it is very fitting for us to do that. And so if you got one of your pre I know I just like totally bashed these little cups all morning. But 
we got to operate within the confines of what makes people comfortable as well, what is sanitary and healthy and safe. If you didn't get one, raise your hand, and one of our Connections team will bring one. Uh, I did not get one either, so this is, this is great. Melissa, can I get one? Please. Thank you. And we're going to take communion together right in this moment. And before we do that, I want you to just close your eyes and take a moment to just quiet yourself for a second and give you a chance to respond to what we've been talking about. So without looking around, would you just, would you just take a moment to reflect on what these elements represent? How they represent the love of Jesus that rescues you and sets you free, restores you, welcomes you to this table. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.